Are you making the money but still feel unfulfilled? Got a business that you're trying to build. Do you want to live a life of abundance? But something is missing. Think it's time you took a listen to the CFO mission. Welcome back to the CFO Mission Podcast. My name is Phil Mazur. I'm your CFO. I'm your host. And let's jump into today's episode. Now, up to this point, you've got a lot of stuff for me that didn't have a lot to do with maybe finance or business. I've tried to tie a lot of stuff into that as I've spoken to you, but I spent a lot of time kind of going through my background, my history, a lot of personal stuff. I wanted to help you guys know me, who I am, what I'm about. It's important that a CFO builds trust inside of a relationship with a business owner. I've given you some tools. I've given you some of the systems that I've used inside of my life, inside of business, building a business, having a good career, ups and downs. What are some of the things that have withstood the test of time that have really kind of always worked and set me apart? And then in the last few episodes, we had a few guests and that was a lot of fun. We're going to have more guests in the future, but I'm going to be jumping into a series of episodes that really dives into CFO stuff. So if that's what you thought you were getting when you first started listening, Gosh, let me thank you for uh, listening to all those other episodes. But here we go into some real practical business stuff as I bring out my iPad here to get my notes out. Today's episode is going to be about what is a CFO? This is a deep conversation. Maybe not deep, but this is a extremely important conversation that needs to happen. Because for each individual business owner out there, you might have your own definition. And there's a part of this that's going to be unique to you and a part of it that's not. So as a CFO, like, let me speak into you today and tell you what I mean when I talk about what a CFO really is. So my career gave me a ton of experience when I was working inside of businesses, eventually becoming a quote unquote CFO in title, but I did all the functions, all the functions of accounting, all the functions of finance, some more than others, but I got exposed to a lot of stuff in almost 20 years working for other businesses. And I worked for big businesses, multi-billion dollar companies. I worked for what I would call big, small companies, almost medium-sized companies approaching $100 million in revenue, and then worked with very small companies, anywhere from half a mil to $10 million per year annual revenue size businesses. So there's a lot of experience that you gain from that. And I'm going to focus more so on the last five or six years since I became a fractional CFO with an accounting business, with a business coaching aspect to what I do, literally working with over 100 businesses and more so from a volume standpoint, like literally thousands of conversations with business owners, some who weren't even my clients. You know, you get a lot of knowledge just having conversations when you're as you're networking and maybe on sales prospecting calls over the years. So 
when you do that enough, you have a statistically significant uh, body of work or sample size here. So um, I took statistics one and two in college and maybe even in my MBA, I can't remember, but I learned a lot of stuff. I did a lot of stuff. I worked with numbers. I liked it. But the one thing that I, that I remember was that a statistically significant sample size is 30. So what does that mean? Well, that means if you, if you do something 30 times, you can make a judgment based off of the results. So to take it a little bit further, because I'm a numbers geek and this isn't even in my notes, if I've got 30 samples and I decide I want to go get 50 samples, 30 through 50, probably not really going to sway the, uh, the results that I get from my analysis. Meaning, so, so that in all basic terms, I'm, I'm trying to tell you like, I've had enough of these conversations, people. So trust me. And this is why it wasn't like I just worked with one company. So anyway, that's not what this is about. I just sometimes go on tangents about numbers because that's kind of part of my DNA. But these are some of the challenges that I saw kind of were the most prevalent. You know, most of my clients, especially initially before I did any type of marketing or networking, most of my clients came to me because they had a really bad pain point. So between those pain points and what I found as I dug deeper with longer term relationships with company. Well, number one, screwed up accounting. And we're talking about small businesses here. So small businesses tend to have inconsistently done accounting, which leads to mistakes, which leads to falling behind, which leads to these big explosive like, oh, my God, look at this crisis that happened. OK, well, that happened because certain disciplines weren't happening. Lack of financial analysis. You could just say data, throw data in there like they don't have the data that's relevant. They don't have data that helps them actually make decisions. And, you know, when I jumped into my own business, it, it was numbers focused, but right away I saw a massive gap just inside of basic leadership. With that, things like lack of discipline and discipline shows up in like poor meetings. It shows up in not holding people accountable. Another thing I saw was business owners who were basically on an island, meaning it was them and they're all that they really had when it came to important decisions. They might have had a team of people, but they didn't really trust them or they weren't good enough for like strategic level uh, conversations. So these owners felt really isolated. They didn't really know what to do. And so that was one thing that I was able to show up and really be kind of a uh a right-hand man, so to speak, but more of just a, a person who kind of got them and understood them being in that place because it's lonely, it's isolating. And the other thing, the last thing that I'll say is there was a disconnection between business life and personal life. Most people would not talk to me on their own, meaning they wouldn't bring this up on their own about what their personal life was like. Not that I'm not talking about like, Hey, what do you do on the weekend? And not even like stuff I've talked about on this podcast, like how's your marriage? How's your kids? Stuff like that. They wouldn't, they wouldn't connect the business to their personal life. Meaning if I do this in business, this is what it's going to mean for me. 
Um, and that feeds into like, why do you do what you do? Like, what is your purpose? And so a lack of complete honesty and transparency, a lack of having a clearly defined purpose for what you do. So these are kind of the thematic issues that I've seen over the years. And when you put yourself in the shoes of a service provider like myself, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a consultant or a contractor, whatever you want to call me, I'm trying to gain your business. And if I'm a service provider, I do what I do. And when you get exposed to all these issues, but somebody comes to you with, I don't know, an accounting problem, but you sell leadership or you sell leadership and they have an accounting problem, there's this conflict that can arise. The reality of it is, is there's really not one single person that can maybe help you with all these things. And it's, and it's funny because I actually, in some cases, was that person. Like I kind of sold myself as that person. But even though I was able to help people in all of those areas, to do all of those at one time or in one engagement was really not, it wasn't, not that it wasn't feasible, but it was like, how many things can we actually work on at one time? And as I get into some of the stuff that I'm going to talk about regarding the finance seat of a business, no one person can do all of these things. So some of the takeaways that came out of learning those, those thematic lessons or those basic, the biggest issues that, that these small business owners face from my point of view was that every business is actually different. There's a lot of things that are the same, but every business is different. And every business owner is on a different part of their business journey. I did an episode a few weeks ago that talked about this. You know, you could be in the entrepreneur stage, you could be in the um, CEO stage. Where you are has a huge impact on what you need and who you need to help you. The other thing is that your needs are gonna change over time. So that fits into that whole journey conversation. Your needs change as the business changes. And it really changes as your people change and your people really need to be moving along with you. And that's one of the biggest challenges for that business owner is to keep those people moving in the same direction. Another thing is that these cookie cutter solutions don't work. And I'm a I'm guilty of this, especially in the latter parts of running my business, because it was like, hey, We've got this way of doing things like we've got this is our accounting system. This is this is how you have to do things um, if you want to work with us. And I see it not just from accounting. I see it from marketing providers, um, all, all kinds of, of fractional type of uh, experts that are providing services. And look, I'm not against that. But the real the reality is that if you're going to be forced into a box, from a service provider as a business owner, it's probably not the best thing for you. And I found that the 80-20 rule here is what wins. So you kind of need, you know, if, if I'm an out-of-the-box solution for you, you, you need 80% of that. Or 80% of what I deliver to you is going to be what you need. And then there's this like 20% that's going to be customized to you based on 
how unique your business is based on where you are as a business owner in your entrepreneurial journey. So again, all these needs, they don't really even need to be fulfilled. The most important thing is that you get the order right. That's how you're going to be successful because I could go tell you 20 different things that you need to do in the course of your first five to 10 years as a business owner. But if you go do the wrong thing first, you're screwed. You're screwed. The challenge is doing the right things at the right time. And it is, in, it is something that's always changing. So here we go. This is my warning to you before I start telling you what, this, what is a CFO. If you don't learn this stuff, you are bound to waste money in two ways, either overpaying somebody and underutilizing them or underpaying somebody and trying to overutilize them. Okay, that'll make more sense as I go through. What is a CFO? And there's lots of definitions out there. Um, I wouldn't even really... I actually thought about looking up some of those definitions, not that I haven't seen them, but I was like, you know what? This is just needs to come from me because, uh, you know, screw what everybody else has to say. This is my podcast. Um, but no, I mean, I want to talk to two people groups here mainly. I want to talk to business owners, okay, which I've been speaking to mostly already. I also want to talk to accounting and finance professionals. So other CFOs, CPAs, bookkeepers, controllers, anything that has to do with accounting. I recognize, you know, I'm identifying those two people groups. If that's not you, okay, apply this, what I'm about to say to what you do. So, um, you know, it doesn't really matter. It, you'll get perspective of this because it's really just treated as, if you work for somebody, treat it as, you know, an employee manager relationship. And even if, even if you're as a business owner, some of this stuff is going to apply to other people on your team, not just finance people. But so why am I doing this? Well, on a whole, I think the relationship on a macro level between a CFO and a CEO is fractured. It's fractured. And I've been a victim of this through losing a job. I've been a victim of this by, not a victim of this, I've been a, um, I've seen business owners be victim of this by not having the right solutions. So that's where the, the underpay, overpay comment comes in. The, uh, the fractured relationship between a CEO and a CFO starts with improper expectations. Those expectations are wrong because of a lack of understanding of the job role. So again, hey, if you're not a if you're not an accounting professional, think about your experience as an employee, think about were expectations set not only at the beginning of the relationship but throughout the relationship because remember what I said earlier, things change. The business changes, people change. Expectations, job roles, these need to be fluid conversations, not just a one-time thing. A lot of people don't even get this post-job job description, like applying for the job. They may never see it again, which is ridiculous. So, all right. First point I want you to understand, 
The CFO is a function, not a person. Now, I understand, obviously, that you might have somebody on your team with the job title of CFO. What I'm trying to explain here is we're going to be treating this thing as a function. There's three main functions in every business. If you don't know this, this is basic business stuff. You've got three things, sales and marketing, operations, and finance. Okay, you take those three things, you need those for every single business. You could add some detail, you could add some sub-functions to those. If you don't have those three functions, your business dies, okay? So we need to be operating in this conversation with that understanding at the beginning. So if you don't really get that, I mean, you should probably go listen to something else for a little bit um, and, and kind of get yourself up to speed. So, okay, let's, let's move over to the finance function. So when I say CFO is a function, it's that function. Like a lot of times you hear the finance hat, like I'm wearing the finance hat or I'm sitting in the finance seat. If you've read the book E-Myth, this is one of those concepts here. If you're the business owner and you're starting out, you're wearing all the hats, right? You're wearing the finance hat. You are the CFO, even if you don't have that job title. So let me list you some of the functions, the sub-functions that sit underneath the finance seat. Here we go. Accounting slash bookkeeping. <laughs> Accounting slash bookkeeping. Let's try that again. Here we go. Financial reporting. Financial analysis. Budgeting. Forecasting. Payroll. Cash management. Banking. Internal controls. Invoicing. Accounts receivable. Accounts payable. Inventory control. Hmm. That's a long list already. Usually in small businesses, things like, let's just say this, we tend to add all the other crap to the finance seat. Things like legal, HR, compliance, insurance, benefits. So right out of the gate, we need to understand some things. There's a whole lot that sits under this finance seat. But what's happened, what happens inside of a small business is you focus on the things that carry the bulk uh, of the workload. So, you know, you're not going to spend a lot of, you might not spend a lot of time on legal inside of a small business, but inside of a large corporation, you're, you're like going to have lawyers on staff. I mean, these are the, these are the differences that we're going to see as we jump from a small company to a big company. But how do you know what you need? Even if you outsource a lot of these functions, because you know you can't get one person to do all these things. But you're probably sitting here thinking, well, I don't, I don't need all of those things, Phil. And that's very true until you do. And that's the problem because all of a sudden, you start to need experts in these different fields. And it's, and it's kind of random. Like, how do you know when you're going to have an HR issue? How do you know when you're going to have to talk to a bank? If you're, if you're a small business owner, I'm sure you've done a lot of that stuff on your own. You figured out some of those basic things just as you go. And that's fine. And that's kind of exactly what you're supposed to do. But who's the point of contact for all of these things? It's whoever's wearing that finance hat. 
So what happens is we hire somebody because we think we need a bookkeeper. And that probably is what we need 75% of the work for, of this person, you know, when we're at a certain size. And then over time, new things start to come up and we just keep throwing stuff on this bookkeeper and they're not qualified. So there's a whole other, you know, long drawn out episode that I'm going to have to do about all of these functions because there's a lot to it. The second thing I want people to know, and this might ruffle some feathers here or cause a little bit of, you know, let me just say it. CFOs are not responsible for your results. CFOs are not responsible for the results of the business. What do you think when I say that? If you don't have one, you probably don't care. <laughs> but if you do, you might disagree with me. So I saw a LinkedIn post uh, recently. It said something to the effect of a CFO should bring you tangible results within the first 90 days or 120 days, something like that. And I, I understand that this post was just meant to, you know, stir up some discussion. But I've actually experienced this where there was this expectation that, <clears throat> oh, because I hired you, you've got to go produce results. And don't get me wrong. I think <laughs> I want to produce results. If I'm a CFO, I want to produce results. But the rea reality is this. So does everybody else. And everybody else should. And everybody should be pr producing results within their function or their seat. So when I say the CFO is not responsible for results, it's the bottom line. You can't measure the finance seat by the P&L statement. You can't measure the finance seat by the amount of cash in the bank. Not solely, not even close. So let me think, let me tell you a story. Back when I was at US Steel, back in my Fortune 500 business days, we had to do employee reviews and you had to do a self-assessment so that your boss could then assess you. And um, so I learned how to get really good at talking myself up. I mean, this is really your only opportunity because you would do your own review. Then your boss would kind of like check the box, give his feedback, his or her feedback. And then it would like get approved by the vice president and CFO of the whole business who really didn't even freaking know you at all. So, I mean, great process here. But I could go in there and say, hey, I worked on this project and it saved us a million dollars. Salesperson can go and say, I did this, this, and this and made us, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. Operations person, I implemented this cost savings blah, 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 blah. And it saved us hundreds of millions of dollars. So we, we used to have these cost savings reports and uh, profit generating reports that showed all the hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars that all these people in the company did. And then the company would lose money. <laughs> like literally the bottom line of the company was a, a net loss. And this wasn't always the case. I was there for 13 years. We had we had like three good years. Um, <laughs> no, maybe maybe five or six. But it was just ridiculous. It was like, I'm doing my job. I have a function that I'm supposed to do. 
to put the results onto that one person is really not fair. So think about the, think about how this org chart is supposed to work like an upside down funnel. And I've I've heard it kind of you should flip the org chart and yes, that's I love that whole concept. If you haven't heard it, it's it's pretty cool, but it's not for this podcast. At the top of the org chart is the business owner. Whether you want to call him the visionary, the CEO, whatever. The ultimate leader at the top is responsible for the results. So catch what I'm telling you. Catch what I'm telling you because I'm talking to you, CEOs. I'm giving you knowledge today that is going to help you get more out of your finance seat. Whether you're sitting in it or somebody else is sitting in it as the leader, you ultimately own it. The same goes for your salesperson, your sales function. Business owner is ultimately responsible. Same goes for your operations function. Business owner, you are responsible for the ultimate results. So what does that mean? You need to learn how to make sure that sales, operating, and finance all work together for good, for your good. So if you've ever found yourself saying, well, that was so-and-so, or my CFO has that number, or ask my CFO about the money situation, hey, that's great if you have that person. Not so great on you if you don't, at some point, learn how to get that information on your own. And I'm not saying you have to be the one that always has that information, but you better know where the heck you stand at any given point in time. So I'm going to talk about a few areas that are critical that you get up to speed on as a CFO here, or sorry, CEO, uh, in just a few minutes here. All that being said, don't hire the CFO and expect them to deliver all the goods on, your, on their own. The CEO must work with the CFO consistently and set the expectations for the role based on what you need. So this is extremely important. As a business owner, you need to know where you're at in your business journey. You need to know where you're at with your people in order to set the right expectations for what functions you actually need inside of this seat. Um, here, here's what can happen. A seat, you hire a CFO and you have an expectation as the business owner. Whether you wrote down the expectation or it's just subconsciously in your head, barely to the surface, you have an expectation. CFO comes in and they have an expectation. And they actually might share the same expectation as you, but they see all these other functions that lie within the finance seat. And so you may have hired this person to help you grow your business or work on strategy or do some analysis for you. But you give it enough time and you give this person who is a leader, more than likely, who is a person who actually knows all of these functions. I don't know. There's like 15 to 20 things that I listed out earlier. Like the CFO knows that all those other things need to be done. So he's not going to stand for them not being done well. And then this dilemma gets created. It's like, oh, you hired me to do this, but 
The reality is, is I see you slipping over here. I see this cash flow issue, or I see this bank reconciliation issue, or I see these payroll issues happening. And these are a symptom of just really just disciplines that are not being happen or that are not happening on a regular basis inside of the accounting function. Yet you want me to do all this higher level stuff, but the basic stuff is not getting done. So there's going to be a rub there. And I've experienced this myself. This is why I, this is why I created an accounting company because people wanted me to do strategic stuff. And I'm like, look, we can talk about your fake ass numbers as long as you want, but they're not real. Like, I have no idea. You basically handed me a report and I'm like, I'm supposed to trust that. You, you have no, you have no credibility inside of your numbers. So you, you can't hide from this stuff. If you're not doing the basic stuff, then you're not going to be able to be served by somebody who's got strategic, high-level knowledge that is truly going to move your company you know, into a next level. Last point, you are unique. Business owner, you are unique, just like everybody else. Yeah. I, uh, I had a boss give me this, uh, give me that saying on a, in a picture, frame picture one time uh, as a gift. And I thought it was really nice at first. And then I read it again and I was like, oh, that's, you're just being a smart ass. But I mean, there are things inside of your business that they, they are unique to you. But if I looked at the functions, what I want you to do is look at the functions on, on your business and understand which ones apply more so to you than somebody else. So if I listed 15 things, you know, what are the top four or five things that your finance seat really has to, has to pay attention to? And th this is going to help you guide where you need full-time help. And it's also going to help you um, spend your money more wisely inside of the finance seat. So let me give you some examples of some contrasting uh, areas in different industries if, if, in the bookkeeping space. So the bookkeeping is like the most traditional thing in accounting that you need to get your to get your books done. And I've worked a lot with property managers, so I'll use them as an example here. Extremely heavy on the bookkeeping. Why? Because they do accounting for their clients. They're managing other people's properties. They're tracking money. There is a massive amount of work, massive amount of transactions that come through that need that need the books kept. You might you might be working with a property management company who is literally sending out thousands of financial statements every month. And you look at those individually, they're not difficult at all. But, but as a collective whole, you got to get those transactions coded right and things like that. Whereas if you're in a consulting business, maybe you might not have that many transactions and you might not really need anybody to do this for you. You might be doing this on your own like a couple hours a month. So it's really not that big of a deal. So you need to understand, are you a bookkeeping heavy company? I look at invoicing, invoicing customers. If you're a service-based business, if you're in, if you're in like maintenance work, you're a plumber, you're a, you're a home builder. I mean, home building, my goodness, tons of, tons of effort, tons of accounting work just to create an invoice. What were the supplies? How much inventory did I use? What is our markup process? What was the labor on there? How much do we mark up labor? Are we going to bill all of the hours or just some of the hours? Is this a flat-based fee? Is this progressive billing? I mean, 
holy cow, that's a lot of stuff. Like it, if it didn't sound like a lot, like just know that's a lot of work. But again, if you're a consultant, eh, just have you on monthly recurring billing, got my credit card, auto pay, there's really nothing to it. So vastly different levels of accounting needed in those two examples. Inventory, same thing. If you're a retail business, inventory is a major deal for you. Inventory, retail and service-based businesses as well can be can be very big deals. And there's plenty of businesses out there that have no inventory whatsoever. So they're like, why would I care? So you need to know these kind of things. What's relevant to your company? And then there's data. If we just take data itself, the production of data, there is going to be data that is absolutely unique to you. And here's what's interesting. Even inside of the same industry, even inside of property management, there's data that's unique to those companies. Why? Well, I already talked about it. Where is your company on your company's journey? What are you currently working on to grow your business? You might need to be tracking data when you're when you're a a million dollar business, when you're a 10, $20 million business in that space, yeah, that data matters, but there's different data. Like if I had to only do my top 10 numbers, those are going to be different numbers more than likely, not all of them, some of them. But what things are going to be the same no matter what type of business you are? Well, I'll actually start with data here too. So I'll flip that idea and say, well, inside of your data, you've got to know your profit margins. You've got to know your profitability. Like there's some basic things that need to get done. Like your books need to get closed every single month. You need to know where you actually ended up. Cash management is another thing. You need to know your cash position. You need to know your outlook with cash. You need to be able to look four, eight, 12 weeks out. These are extremely important things that every single business needs to know even if you don't have a CFO, you need to figure these things out. So there's a there's a system out there called Profit First. And I love this system. I've actually used it. I was I was I was not certified in this, but I was asked to be certified. I was like, nah, that's cool, but I don't need another confusing uh title underneath my name. But I've used this and I, and I use some of the principles myself, the principles of putting money into a certain amount of money into different accounts to help you manage it better. But if I, ta- if I take the, uh, the other side of this and say this is bad, it, this is lazy person accounting. It is very lazy because profit first helps the person who doesn't get it, like get by. It helps you survive. Only up until the point where you run out of money, you're still going to run out of money, right? If you can actually, if in, unless you're a massively super disciplined person, most people aren't, by the way. I have a uh, statistically significant sample of, of that as well. Most people are not that disciplined, especially the smallest of small businesses. And maybe this is why that you don't move up because you're not as disciplined as you need to be. Okay, tangent. The last thing, controls. You need to have some internal controls in place. So when it comes to things like credit cards, your bank statements, your bank accounts, like you need to have protection over these things. I don't care how small you are. I don't care if you have no employees. You're still susceptible to fraud. You are. You need to know that. You need to have somebody looking at your stuff. If you're a one-man shop, 
And I know, I know a couple of people personally that are basically a one-man shop, maybe have a virtual assistant, you know, some type of executive assistant, and they don't look at their stuff. They don't. So how do you know that you're not getting stolen from? How do you know that your customers are not getting stolen from? Again, these are not, I'm not meant to scare you here and think like, oh my God, I got to go. Like, I'm just telling you, get on top of your stuff. Like know the answer when I say, are you protected? Know how and why. That's all you really need to do. And these don't, these types of things uh, don't take a lot of effort. But what happens? People don't do it and then they get screwed because they weren't aware. So here's your warning. Go do it. So I've just given you a lot of basic stuff. What are your takeaways? If you're a business owner, what are you thinking? Are you cutting costs right now? Are you spending too much right now? If we Even if we just looked at the finance seat, are you overspending or underspending there? Are you completely in the dark? Like, are you just like, what? I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, hopefully through this podcast, you got some clarity on some basic things. And, and I'll invite you to get more clarity. If you want to have a conversation with me, I can help you out with that. But if you're a CFO, if you're in that finance seat, if you're an employee, what's what's not working? Like understanding that there's 15 different functions, 15 to 20 different functions. They might be expecting to you, you to do all of them. If that's happening with you, if you're getting pushback uh, from your business owner, from your boss, if you're looking at the body of work that you know needs to be done, yet you're being pulled into areas where you're like, hey, I don't have time for that. Like, and I shouldn't be doing that. Like, you need to outline that stuff for your clients. So you can be mad and get pushed around by your bosses and your clients even, or you can step up and do something about it. And this comes from my personal experience of not doing that in my last, or not my last job, but back when I got fired. I mean, ultimately it hurt me by not stepping up. By not saying what I truly felt. Not only what I felt, but actually what I knew. So for you accounting folks out there, like have confidence in who you are and what you know. Step up and have that conversation. You're going to have to do it in a healthy way for sure. But your business owner needs that from you. Like your clients, they need that from you. They need somebody that's going to wake them up and go, hey, look, this is a big deal. And you need me to be doing this thing over here before you have me doing that thing that you want me to do. And go in there armed with ammunition that backs up what you're saying because you know. So you can do that. Speak with authority with that. So in order for every small business to have a CFO, you have to define what that means. So you have no excuses now. Go do it. Go define what CFO means for your business. Go define what CFO means for your fractional CFO business. What do you actually do? Have those conversations. Business owners, accounting professionals, have those conversations about that job role. And for you business owners out there, this is what's going to allow you to really start owning your business. This is the CFO Mission Podcast. <laughs>